We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Architects used to draw everything with set squares, compasses and rulers. Then came the mechanical drafting table. During this time, architects had to draw every part of the building individually. Then came die-line machines and printers. By this time, studios were filled with large format drafting tables, printers and plotters. And then computers were slowly introduced so you could do most things on a small monitor. After this, fax machines allowed drawings to be sent by phone, so it took less time for everyone in the project team to get drawings and instructions, but this was soon replaced by email. To see how engineers and architects' drawings work together, some firms started playing with building information management, which allowed multiple people in a team to see how the parts of the building come together in 3D. These days there's a lot of discussion around parametric modelling, artificial intelligence and automated manufacturing. With so many ways of designing architecture throughout history, there seems to be an almost unending conveyor belt of technology that architects need to use to do their job. I'm Daniel Moore, and in today's episode of Hearing Architecture, we've asked architects from around Australia what will happen to architecture as more advanced technology is introduced into the studio. Each new piece of technology that's introduced into business should save us time or money. Many architects who were working when computers were introduced into firms say that they clearly saved architects a lot of time, while some say it brought unnecessary details into the job. This is one of the reasons why every practice is different and why every architecture project happens in a unique way. The constant pressure to speed up and save money has obvious advantages, but there is a point where architects could struggle to provide adequate services for the work they're liable for. Justin Carrier and Stephen Posmus talk us through how they've addressed implementing new technology in their office and how their perspective helps produce good work in their practice. Um, I think all of that is geared to an implicit economic understanding that we need to essentially be in a state of continuance, fast and ever-expanding, and that's the kind of modus operandi. And I think we're coming to the point where we have to revisit that whole assumption and think in a, in a different way, which is more sustainable, more considered, more thoughtful, and actually takes into consideration the consequences of that and the real cost, because it's too costly. Because ultimately, all these sorts of things um, are geared towards speed, you know, mm-hmm everything's towards speed and doing things quickly and fast and so we can then move on to the next thing so we we so we question that to start with and so for us it's like well we can see why why it's this way but we're really questioning the underlying assumptions because it's really important and we will say the same things to everyone in our practice Mm -hmm. we will say the same things to everyone in our family and um, as individuals, um, just keep on trying to come to that realization, and we're not content to just continue in ignorance. And we want to have some understanding of the consequences of what we do. So, kind of having done that, we then have to ask different questions about 
are we being effective in the way that we design are we being sustainable are we being considerate mm-hmm. and to me that's the most efficient way of operating as apart from speed i mean to, to, i mean two things i mean oh, well, I'll, I'll start with with a bit of experience from where i came from so you know i came from a really high-paced office where you know you just churn things out and you know design was seen as important but I suppose it was always that pressure to sort of document without the chance to go back and, and really do carry through your design development and, and make sure ideas were sort of followed through. So when I started practicing with Steve, it was actually quite, I find it, I actually found it quite difficult because Steve would just be constantly operating at a pace that was, I wasn't used to. It was just, you know, very considered, but slower. And I was just, you know, come on, Steve, let's just, you know, like, like what, what's the hold up, you know? And, and, but I now see after seven years, I, I really see the value in it, you know, because after you've gone through a journey of three years for a project, at the end, of, what you look at at the end of that process is that yes, you can see where you spent the extra time, and 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 you can see the outcomes that you do need time to actually produce good, good outcomes and good buildings. That was Justin Carrier and Stephen Posmus from Kappa, based in Perth. Architectural problems aren't always complicated. Some are very simple and can be solved with a conversation or a quick sketch. But when it comes to designs with complex geometry, it's hard to understand how a drawing could be produced without the latest software. Lee Hillam talks us through how technology and architecture can be beneficial, but isn't automatically a solution to every problem that architects have. Do you know, everything that I have seen in technology and, you know, understanding that when I entered university, we were just starting to use CAD as a, as a tool for drawing. And um, my first job, all the drawings, we did pencil on yellow trace drawings for everything. You know, where I was working was considered to be very, you know, out of date at the time. But I remember my boss, you know, railing against the technology that he was too old to adopt it and he wasn't interested in any way. It just seems that we're constantly thinking that technology is going to so- solve things for us. It's going to make us more efficient. It's going to make us more profitable. It's really just a tool. And like any tool, there's bad tools and there's bad users of those tools. And it's just how you use them. I don't, I, I'm not against technology. And I think in some parts of our job, especially when you get to the documentation end of it, having, you know, BIM models and things like that are going to be so exciting actually to think that people can kind of collaborate on the one file and all be working on it together and there's true integration between services engineers and structural engineers and architects i think that is is fantastic but i'm worried about this idea that you produce this huge file in in your early concept design and that any changes to that are going to take someone days and days to do and lots of it's spent sitting watching spinning wheels so I still think we're at a kind of a crux where architects need to be able to think quickly and loosely in when they're designing. And the technology is not being designed to help that part of architecture. Not to say that it couldn't be. Someone could develop technology that really was about being able to design quickly. Perhaps SketchUp is one that does that pretty well but when you're looking at um, BIM software it's all about documentation that's where all the focus is. I think sometimes you need to work fast and kind of fast and dirty you know just messy sketches that just 
Like I, I, I like to sit down, sometimes even after I've in the sketch design for a project and I'm just thinking, is this the right way? And I'll sit down and I'll spend maybe two hours just going, okay, without judgment, how many other ways can I think to do this? And I will try and do 20 diagrams of other ways it could be done. And I'm willing to do a million bad ones, you know, I do 19 out of the 20 might be terrible, but the 20th one might be just something really surprising. And you think actually that could work. And the only way I found that is because I was trying to test myself to do all the different permutations of what it could be. Rather than think through the problem in too much detail, just think of all the, all the diversity of ideas that could be applied to that, that problem. So I think that's what I mean by working kind of fast and dirty, just, and then, and then you might just screw that piece of paper up and put it in the bin. And, and because what you've found out is that the way you're heading is, is the right way and you're feeling a bit more confident about it. But every now and then I need anyway to kind of sit there and just test myself, test that idea and go, well, really, am I really on the right track? Here's like a whole load of, of bad drawings. <laughs> Um, but it just it just allows you to think like that. I still think architects think with pencil in their hand better. So I I, I think that the skill of an architecture is still in your in your brain, and no technology is going to be able to do that because if you can take a whole lot of disparate uh, influences and factors and constraints and pull them all together into one you know beautiful solution, I'd be amazed if we can get to a point where a computer could do that. I really would. That was Lee Hillam from Dun & Hillam Architects, based in Sydney. To find the preferred design for a client, architects test a number of different solutions before they settle on their favourite results. It's possible to test a lot of things quickly using computers, and this is one of the major reasons many firms use computers over hand drawings. Jo Rees highlights how she's used technology to test her designs and how this has impacted her design process. I think technology can be a really useful tool Certainly all the thousands of hours that I spent as a student making CAD models and loving every minute of it, like, like some kind of Minecraft addiction really, that's what it was many years ago, 25 years ago or more. It helped me be able to visualise in 3D really effectively. So what I would do when I was learning to, to draw and design when I was a student was I would sketch out a, a, an idea of what the space I was trying to create and sometimes it was an external space. And then I would create it as a 3D model to, and test. So I'd go into the perspective mode and go to the same spot as I'd drawn the sketch to see if it worked. So I taught myself to think quickly and effectively and be able to draw in, th in 3D knowing that what I thought I was doing was what I was doing. So incredibly useful tool, just like 3D printers, useful tools in the right capacity. What I think can't be undertaken or achieved by artificial intelligence is problem solving with the spark of creativity and a certain amount of intuition. There is no amount of artificial intelligence that will ever replace the role of an architect with those ingredients. So I think that a good imagination and words to be able to communicate your ideas, a few sketches, really make all the difference and that's what we hold on to and expand on and try and make it possible for our general community and society to understand those are the skills that we've got to offer. That was Joe Rees from Ajara Architects based in the Northern Territory. 
There are a lot of things that architects can do faster with computers than by hand, but this is not necessarily the case at all stages of the design process. Some architects use a program like SketchUp at the beginning of a project because it's fast in 3D. Later on, they use AutoCAD to draw the building in 2D during the documentation phase because it's geared towards creating construction drawings. Jeeva Greenaway talks us through how every project requires the right technology for the right job. I'm a little ambivalent around technology as it relates to architecture. I think we tend to get caught up in the, the techno-gadgetry of architecture and focus on the whiz-bang next thing, whether it's 3D modelling or 3D printing or AI or VR goggles or, or what have you. Ultimately, those tools are mechanisms to communicate ideas. And what tool you bring to the table is predicated on the nature of the project, the audience that you're delivering to, and finding ways to make it as accessible as possible. And only this week we actually did a big presentation for a bid for a very large project. And we actually did end on handing out VR goggles to the assessment panel. And they were blown away, certainly, because it is seductive and it does take you in and it does give you a different perspective and it can certainly amplify or reinforce a proposition and an idea but supplementary to that within our presentation we also provided and brought in physical models so you can see you can touch it's something that's tactile you can get your head inside it you can engage with it you can understand it Equally within the presentation, yes, we had it on a screen and we're presenting it through a sort of typical PowerPoint, but within that, we showed our sketches, our drawings, our processes, the development of the, the massing models and test modelling of the project, and working through and showcasing how the ideas have evolved through time. So the technology, I think, is certainly something that we probably give a little bit too much emphasis, in a sense. Yes, it's useful, and I think back to the days where we used to do documentation with technical drawing pens on tracing, and it, yes, it was pretty hard to be scratching off the ink when we made a mistake or redrawing something because you're digging holes in the tracing paper because you've scratched it off too many times. So certainly there's value in things like CAD drawing and software to make it easier and make changes simpler, and, you know, we're going through a process now of, of transitioning across into Revit for a, a major project we're working on and, and that's a bit of a pain but again it, it might well be efficient in time. I think it's really about working within what's possible and, and understanding limitations of, of even these amazing technology. They have limitations as well and certainly the immediacy of being able to knock out a drawing quickly. You know, for instance, with a detail, I'd much sooner do a 2D, you know, 1 to 5 or 1 to 10 detail by hand than to run that through a CAD package because it's so bespoke. It's much quicker for me to conceive of a technical detail, construction detail, as a 2D drawing in AutoCAD than, say, doing it 3D modelled. So these are the sort of things we need to think about. Um, is what's the best tool for what we're trying to do. And ultimately what we're trying to do is communicate in different forms, whether it's 
communicating to an engineer, whether it's communicating to a council, whether it's communicating to a community group, whether it's communicating directly to the client, it's all a form of communication. The technology is an enabler for us to communicate clearly. That was Jeffrey Greenaway from Greenaway Architects based in Melbourne. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is beginning to be used by some firms around the world. While there's a lot of scepticism about AI, there is potential for it to replace many functions of the architecture office. However, Rod Simpson highlights how even though AI could potentially create a building, there's one piece missing that AI can't achieve. No question that a whole city could be designed by artificial intelligence. The skill that won't happen, of course, is the engagement with the client. But the other skill, I think, as an architect, which can be expanded across into urbanism and urban design and is a general skill, which may not end up in a building, is to engage with a wide variety of people and essentially bring those people together. And by that, I mean the client, subconsultants, the community, the approval authorities, to a point of agreement and understanding about a project and about how everyone's going to work together to actually, in a sense, collaborate on bringing about that end result that everyone's striving for. So I think that's why there's so many people who do architecture and then go off to do other things because those skills are transferable and that's, that's not going to be replaced by artificial intelligence. The interpersonal skills, the negotiating skills, the listening, the ability to encapsulate, captivate and develop a compelling vision or direction that is going to be shared by a broad range of people in relationship to any project is not going to be done by artificial intelligence. That was Rod Simpson from the Greater Sydney Commission. The human element is something that makes any architecturally designed building unique. When an architect comes up with a vision for a building, it takes a lot of people working together with technology to bring that project to fruition. Sue Dugdale tells us how important new software such as Building Information Management or BIM can be in the office, but how good architecture doesn't depend on the latest technology. Essentially, architects are problem solvers and problem solving means starting with a process and often not being able to see the end. A lot of people won't and can't do this because they don't have the confidence of knowing what the end is. And I think this ability to synthesize disparate elements is the essence of architecture and it's hard to imagine the whole process ever being done by artificial intelligence. I think architects bring people skills, technical skills and creative skills together in varying proportions on different projects and so I think it's a long way off seeing computers do that, do all that and I think another thing that architects do is they can see the big picture while we're immersed in the detail or vagaries of one stage in a long process so even though I say we can't see the end outcome but we can see the whole process and we understand how to walk through the long process to get to an outcome that is unknown as yet. So technology has provided huge advances in how we practice architecture as well as disruptions and it does make larger, more complex projects achievable. So BIM, Building Information Management 
and detecting clashes between structural steel beams and mechanical ducts I think is incredibly valuable <laughs> and um, long may it last, but it's not the essence of architecture. I think architecture can still be envisioned on the back of an envelope and hand drawings still communicate. In fact, the hand-eye-brain connection is still vitally important for us in engaging ourselves as whole beings in a design process. Though one thing I've thought for a very long time is that architecture is one of the few creative professions where the practitioner isn't handling the materials they're designing with. So you can imagine a painter mixes their colours and they get paint on their hands, a fashion designer will be constantly handling swathes of fabric, a choreographer will use their body as they create their routines, and a musician has an instrument in their hand. But architects might have a few samples in the office, but they're not lifting concrete blocks every day or fitting glass into aluminium frames. So architecture is intrinsically a very abstract process and a very abstract way of working. And the closest you can get to your medium of work, which really is space, is the medium, is a physical scale model, I think, or a pencil in your hand. That was Sue Dugdale from Sue Dugdale & Associates, based in the Northern Territory. AI has the potential to be a powerful tool, but there's still so much we don't know about the way it can be used in practice. Amelia Borg, Timothy Moore and Jane Court share how they think working with AI could make an architect's job easier and won't be able to completely replace architects. I don't know, when you talk about AI, it also just makes me think about the tools that we use now and how they've changed even in the last 10 years. So, yeah, I guess the way that we used to use programs and technology even when we were in university, I think has changed so much to what we do now. And it's really just those technical things which are making things much easier for us and um, much faster for us. I think where architects' skill really lies and what we can bring to the table and what our value add is, is the way that we think which is something that AI is never going to be able to replicate. I think as architects, you know, our skill is being able to problem solve and being able to work with really complex inputs and being able to synthesize them, which is something I think that, yeah, AI is never going to replace. If AI can make our sort of technical life easier, then that's totally fine with me. Um, and yeah, so I think the knowledge that we have and our value add is really through that kind of complex knowledge rather than through a sort of technical aspect. Architects and designers have a great tool set from training through education. So, you know, we think in 2D, 3D, 4D, we think through section, we think through fly-throughs, we can look, walk around the city and see different layers. And I think that helps us understand complexity and complex systems. And if you think about all the different consultants we, you have to integrate into a typical building project, it kind of demonstrates that complexity already. So I, I concur with Amelia that with AI, if it helps make our lives easier, great, but we're probably the people behind AI coding it anyway. We'll, we'll be the ones controlling the AI to make sure we use it in a way that we want it to. Yeah, I mean, as with most other solid things in our lives, we start to see property site becoming just huge data sets and we start to see AI and computer programming being able to take those data sets and optimise them, whether it's financial modelling, built form against the planning code or built form against sustainability optimization, following the sun, etc. We're never going to be able to optimise a building as efficiently as AI, I don't think. But in some ways, architects have 
always only designed a small portion of buildings in the, in the urban or non-urban environment. And most likely people will still come to architects in the future because they don't want something that's necessarily 100% optimised. They want something that suits their own <laughs> neurotic lives or their own interests or um, worldview. That was Amelia Borg, Timothy Moore and Jane Court from Sibling Architects based in Melbourne. The advantages of AI seem to be numerical. When architects want to make a floor plan, an orientation or a facade more efficient, then AI might be able to do that. But there's no guarantee that the results will produce something that looks or feels appealing. Shanine Fanton and Belinda Orwood talk through the functions that AI could replace in the architecture office and the services that will probably remain a human pursuit. I think what we have as architects that AI doesn't have yet, and also my teenage children tell me, is that it's not progressed in problem, complex problem solving and it's not progressed in psychological thinking. And so those parts of architecture, which I suspect when we know are already on the path to automation, include... Um, Repetitive building technologies include the reproduction of plans or designs that are the same. So documentation of of masses or componentry, 3D printing of components, 3D printing of houses and places, and certainly of architectural elements that I suspect in the future you'll be able to just buy a family of components through your... um, software system and plug them into your buildings. The bit that AI doesn't do and people think that it won't do in the future as well is around communication and complex problem solving and also communicating with the world around ideas to do with emergence of architectural changes in architecture and urban design. So that is the part where architects and urban designers will maintain their prowess. That's my opinion anyway. I think that the technology is required to meet the current speed at which people are operating. And so without the technology in whatever form it is, then those services become redundant of an architect. So you need the technology to produce the drawings, manage the time, manage the data, and do all of the process-oriented work. But you need architects to do the thinking work and the problem-solving work and the communication work. Yeah, I think the bits that AI or computers can't do that is so core to to our work as architects is relationship building with people. Um, Architecture is about culture, it's about creativity, it's about responding to people, it's about dealing with projects uh, and complex stakeholder groups where there is no, often no one clear solution, there can be multiple solutions, some are better fits than others, and it's about bringing people on board, it's about negotiating uh, negotiating change, compromise, um, educating, it's, it's such a complex set of relationships and a journey and a learning process that I certainly can't see now how a um, artificial intelligence or, or uh, digital technologies could replace that element of producing architecture or built environments. 
That was Shanine Fanton and Belinda Orwood from Pod, based in Cairns. Some AI sceptics are worried that computers will start making choices for us, but at the moment it seems a lot of the applications for AI will be for information gathering. If architects had a system that could automatically collect all the data they want for a project, it would make it much easier to keep them better informed. Rob McGoran tells us how the world is currently changing through technology and the way AI can inform architects to make better decisions in their work. So I went to a conference last year in the United States and uh, there was a discussion there about how we've moved from the agricultural age through the industrial age through the knowledge age and we're now in the what this particular speaker Daniel Pink talked about as the conceptual age where it's about asking the right question rather than answering a problem and he put it and it seems to have been affirmed by recent articles and um, research I've read about in Australia that those sort of middle management jobs that were so great for the middle class through the 20th century are the ones under threat. So the insurance brokers, the, um, the lawyers doing vanilla sort of law and property transactions, estates and divorces and uh, and arguably the architects doing production type work, repetitious work uh, in our field, are the ones that I think are really under threat. I think if, however, we continue to be the choreographers of change, enabling people to intelligently understand the data that AI is assembling, and to invest that with the voice of our time, our place, our people, our, our uh, environment. There is great opportunities for people with those lateral thinking skills and the people who are optimistic about the future rather than pessimistic, which architects generally sort of waver between. But uh, so that's, I, I see AI and computers continuing to be a great tool we're using data much more to inform decision-making in a lot of the work and predict elements in some of the bigger work that we're looking at. And we're looking also at data as being a way, for example, with our work at Monash and uh, other universities to help us with reporting on success or failure of some of the moves that we make. So what is the energy performance of our buildings? How many people are walking along this new pedestrian street we put in place? What is the utilisation of that new learning and teaching building or social space that we've made? Uh, do people like it or not? That sort of information really can help decision makers make more intelligent decisions rather than just follow fashion. That was Rob McGoran from MGS Architects, based in Melbourne. One thing that will prevent architects from being replaced by machines is by designing unique buildings. If the design of all buildings was purely reliant on adopting all the span tables, building codes and standards, then AI could design the most common buildings without much more development. Professor Philip Tallis tells us why the role of architecture should be resilient in the future of AI architecture. I would hope that architecture is one of those areas that's more immune from artificial intelligence than many others where it's in a sense just applying rules 
And one of the interesting things, constantly interesting things about architecture is this design thinking and an attitude where you assimilate a lot of disparate inputs and you synthesize them into a work which is making the project. So this skill is actually quite rare in society and not many people actually have those skills. So many people are just applying rules and ropes, even people you collaborate with. And so I've seen certainly many engineers that I work with, they simply say that their design, be it structure, be it the reinforcing, be it the road rules, be it airflow and the mechanical ventilation is simply, well that's simply an output of applying whatever of Australian standards. Architecture should never be like that. Architecture is specific to the place. Every time you have a project, you're building in a place that is unique on the planet. You make a specific change which is informed by a brief, by the time, the culture that you're in, by the topography, by the climate, by the subdivision, the lot structure, by where it sits in the city and its evolving urbanity. So all of that is the information that gets fed into your brain, and which isn't like a computer, and it thinks quite differently. And I think if architecture were to lose a significant amount of work to artificial intelligence, that would be extremely unfortunate. I've, I've worked in the profession since I remember the first word processor that did the specification, and this old architect came down and said, this is bloody amazing. I don't think that's necessarily changed what's fundamental to architecture. It might have changed the forms, it might change some of the production. It hasn't led to having less architects. It certainly means we can do more pointless activity much more quickly. So we can do, for instance, incredibly complex um, shadow diagrams and uh, track the movement of the sun in a way that's actually extremely interesting, which you could never hope to do before. So I wouldn't be pessimistic about architecture. Um, losing out to artificial intelligence unless we want uh, a dumb and stereotyped environment. So what we need to do as architects is actually be better architects. That's our best protection and we just got to be much much more conscious of doing good work and the good work is the best advertisement for the value of architecture. So the more mediocre rubbish produced by the profession the more we're at risk of losing out to artificial intelligence. So that's an encouragement to do good work each and every time. Don't accept second rate or second best, don't simply regurgitate what you've done before. You don't seek novelty just for the sake of it, but have an intelligent response to each and every project on each and every site. Embrace the optimism of architecture and fight back, always fight back and say what you can do as an architect that a computer can't do. That was Professor Philip Tallis from Hill Tallis Architecture and Urban Design, based in Sydney. Current AI technology seems like it can't do much for architects, but it's going to get better at designing and many firms will start to use it. But this technology doesn't mean architects will stop finding ways to use their design thinking. Dick Jarman tells us how an architect's role might change over time and how the ability to critically analyse the architecture process is one of their strongest assets. Well, as Liam Young, um, architect and architectural commentator says, architects are wasted on making buildings. And I agree with that. I think what we are, are great and critical analyzers of complex problems and can come up with solutions for those problems. That is our real strength. And I think just to build theater sets for the rich is a waste of, 
all of, it, of the skill sets that we have. And I think with the increase in AI and construction technology and complex uh, manufacture, architecture as a profession will probably continue to be pushed out of the profession in many ways, in many areas, as it has been done over, certainly over my lifetime as an architect as larger and larger projects become the norm globally. Um, the, the nature of these projects is so complex that AI would make a lot of sense to um, actually um, be generating a lot of the, the form making and others. Uh, we, I went to a talk with Patrick Schumacher from Hadid's office. He was talking about parametric design of, of town planning. Uh, I thoroughly disagree with what he was saying, but it was definitely his thoughts were about the AI and, and, and parametric shape making. And but to me, it was sort of a fascist overlaying of what appeared to be human activity on spaces. But um, the res most resilient skills that we have is our uh, critical analysis. It's a very difficult thing to teach. Actually, so we we talk about in teaching architecture the black box of good design. How do we actually transfer that knowledge of good design and, uh, and, and the ability of critical analysis of complex issues to be able to come through a whole lot of data and come up with viable solutions which really is comes from a creative mind and if you read Kersler and others they all sort of talk about the different mindsets that a creative person has and a lot of it's bravery and willing to be an individual and stand out from the crowd and being able to see something on the fly and, and being able to hold ideas and to explore other ones and there's a whole range of skill sets when you unpack the term creativity that a good architect will have that they can then orientate those skills in any particular problem. I think it would be difficult for AI to have a number of those components, but I don't think it's completely impossible. I've been reading a lot about AI and how it, what it can and can't do, and it, it's, it seems to be a very impressive array of things that it could do. But I think at the end of the day, when it comes to design, there's a certain human decision-making elements, for want of a better word, that the architect can um, instantly gravitate to where the, the AI would find it perhaps a little more difficult to assess these things, because you don't really want to give AI too much confidence in the algorithm because uh, who knows what would happen. That was Dick Jarman from Circa Morris Nunn Architects, based in Hobart. New technology will always have its place. It's a tool that architects can choose to use in their practice however they feel they can get the best results from it. This is why some of Australia's best working architects still draw with pencils and pens and others use parametrics to achieve their amazing designs. Artificial intelligence is on the architectural horizon, and however architects choose to use it, there is a potential for it to be a big new part of the architecture process. Andrew Maynard from Austin Maynard Architects in Melbourne highlights how important our perspective of AI is and how experimentation with new technology can positively develop our firm designs. Sam Harris talks about artificial intelligence in a really interesting and alarming way. He describes the fact that we are emotionally not responding to it properly. That we're being told that in 50 years this super intelligent thing will exist, like exceeds our intelligence by so much as, and is connected throughout the globe and can think in a split second and take control over our systems. Now, if an alien from another world sent a message saying we've got to be there in 50 years and we're better than you, 
our reaction would be very, very different to what our reaction now. Our reaction now is, oh God, I love this technology. Look at it, just give me more technology. So it's another issue of, I think, legislation and control. If we had a really informed population that voted for the great people that are out there, we could put in really great checks and measures that make sure that artificial intelligence um, creates one for new epoch for, for humans. Uh, instead, we're looking at that dystopia uh, and there's no stopping it. It's not as though we go, oh, well, the solution is let's stop investing in artificial intelligence. It's going to happen. So, yeah, since university, so when I studied, started drawing, and then there was just all these Mac computers and Archicad board, and I was one of the nerds that jumped in there while everybody else was going, oh, that's not architecture. We draft on drawing boards. Um, so I've always been a nerd and played with the technology. You know, grabbed a 3D printer for, for the office, um, have resisted getting a CNC cutter. Just whenever there's a new toy or tech, grabbing it and investing in it. But so much of this is still labor intensive. You think, oh, I love the idea of just pressing print and it prints out a model. But of course, you have to do a lot of work, almost create a new model to get that to happen. But I am really interested in a future where you can do a 3D print quite easily from whatever you're working on. So it's like, just let's test this and just press print. And that that becomes a prototype for the bigger thing. So it's like, you know what, I think it's right. I like this at one to 50, let's do it. Let's do the one to one. And then you just send the little army of drone robots out uh, and it just starts, you know, pooping out concrete and building the thing for you. And I, I, that's, that's the reality of at some stage in the future, we're going to have drones flying with slabs of insulated CLT or whatever it may be and dropping those in place uh, or just, yeah, actually pouring concrete. So there will be automation and we could actually link those straight to the Arctic's mouse. That could be terrifying, couldn't it? <laughs> Am I ready to print? You know, you get this warning button, like, like when you send out a MailChimp, are you sure? Are you sure you want to print this? One-to-one, uh, -one. but you know, maybe knocking it back down again will be really easy. Maybe that's the thing. You'll have other drones that just go and start eating the bits you don't like. It's like an eraser drone, and then redo it again. Yeah. It could be fun. Again, if we think about it and legislate properly. This has been episode 11 of Hearing Architecture. Thanks so much for listening. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review, and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favorite podcast app. This episode of Hearing Architecture featured the following guests. Justin Carrier, Stephen Posmus, Lee Hillam, Joe Rees, Jeeva Greenaway, Rod Simpson, Sue Dugdale, Amelia Borg, Timothy Moore, Jane Court, Shanine Fanton, Belinda Orwood, Rob McGoran, Professor Philip Tallis, Dick Jarman, and Andrew Maynard. The interviews in this episode were produced around Australia by Imagine Committee members. Jamila Jahangiri, Daniel Hall, Kirsty Voles, Kelly Marnane, Chris Morley, Sam McQuenney, Reese Curry, Brad Weatherall, Jess Beaver, Bede Taylor, Rebecca Webster and Daniel Moore. The Australian Institute of Architects production team was Daniela Crawley, Stacey Rodder, Monique Woodward and Tom McKenzie. Produced by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result.
The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.